please be seated. Good luck, thanks. <laughs> our, our first reading this morning comes from Psalm 93. The Lord is king, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he is girded with strength. He has established the world, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old, you are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. More majestic than the thunders of mighty waters, more majestic than the waves of the sea, Majestic on high is the Lord. Your decrees are very sure. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The word of the Lord. Able to hear me. If I stand right here. I'll preach just to y'all, but they've got speakers. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm grabbing my, I don't, um, I don't feel 100% today. All that talk and elders meeting, we talked about the importance of us drinking water of all ages. <clears throat> mm. And I have some friends visiting from North Carolina. So if you want to know secrets about me, these people know most of them. <laughs> Our second scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. And I invite you to actively listen or to follow along in your pew Bibles. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The word of the Lord. What makes a king? What makes a king? Power? Wealth, a big house, control over land, a crown. Someone that makes important decisions, 
What makes a king? Today happens to be Christ the King Sunday. Sometimes celebrated among churches, Protestant churches, more so now than in the past. It symbolizes the last Sunday of the liturgical calendar. Next week is the beginning of Advent. We should just let that sink in. Christmas is coming. Oh my gosh. It's almost 2019. So next week starts the beginning of a new liturgical year. But today is also a day that we acknowledge who Jesus is and those of us who are Christians pledge to follow him. So what kind of king are we following? Our scripture today, we find Jesus on trial. He has been arrested by soldiers and chief priests. And prior to standing on trial before Pilate, Jesus is questioned by the high priests who have already determined that Jesus is a criminal and desire that he must die at Roman hands. And now he stands before Pilate. If Jesus is to die a Roman death, then he must be a revolutionary. And Pilate questions Jesus to determine if he is one. Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate asks? What have you done that the chief priests handed you over to me? And Jesus answers that his kingdom rests on making God known in the world, bearing witness to the truth, and gathering those who listen to the truth to his kingdom. Jesus really has done nothing wrong. But Jesus becomes a scapegoat. The practice of scapegoating is older than old. We hear stories in Greek mythology and we see it in the Old Testament. During Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Israelites used two goats to symbolize their sins. One was sacrificed to appease God while the second was slain to pacify Azel, an evil spirit. In the act of religious symbolism, a priest conveyed the sins of the Israelites to the goat, and then the unlucky goat was tossed off the cliff. But beyond tossing goats off cliffs, we know this method, do we not? We identify a person or group 
and named them bad. Adam blamed Eve. Hitler blamed Jews. Yoko Ono was blamed for the breaking up of the Beatles. When something bad happens, it's always someone else's fault. Such is the life of the scapegoat. The great Chicago fire of 1871 was reportedly started when Catherine O'Leary was milking her cow, which then knocked over a lantern. And although the Chicago Tribune admitted to making the entire story up, Catherine O'Leary was accosted for her hazardous milking for the rest of her life. This case of scapegoating was most likely a dig at Irish immigrants who were believed to be careless drunks and prone to accidents such as these. For centuries, scapegoating has been one of the most effective tools humans have used to unite people. The scapegoat, the one bringing upheaval to our society, negatively impacting our ways or ruining a way forward. They are people of color or Muslims, or gays, or immigrants, or the poor taking advantage of our system. They are the media creating fake news, or that other political party responsible for our economic downturn. And the solution? Identify them, and get rid of them, before something else terrible happens. And in many cases, we do. For centuries, scapegoating has been used to justify murder and war and genocide. And a society may experience peace and redemption for a short while, but really it's just a cycle beginning all over again. Some sociologists and anthropologists would say that we are conditioned to the scapegoat mechanism. They are, we are predisposed to anything that moves the attention off <clears throat> the very thing that needs to be addressed. The scapegoat helps move the attention off ourselves and the work that we have to do, often connected to our ego. The scapegoat mechanism simplifies a problem by demonizing a third party. It perpetuates complacency, and it absorbs our violent tendencies. Getting rid of Jesus has joined the Sadducees and the Pharisees in a common cause. All of their differences evaporate in their bloodlust, their blind desire to hold on to power by any means necessary, including lying and collaborating with the, the Romans and murder. 
The religious authorities are willing to stoop to idolatry in order to preserve a false peace. The sort that allows them to hold on to their power in exchange for colluding with the Romans in their oppression of the people. And so they turn to the oldest trick in the book. It's the scapegoat mechanism. That is the strategy of blaming an innocent victim for the ills of the community and offering up that victim as a sacrifice, thereby restoring that false sense of peace that they so crave. Jesus is that scapegoat. This Christ the King Sunday speaks directly to the problem of violence and political power. A problem that has plagued society from its beginnings to the age of terrorism we are living through today. The Gospel of John portrays Jesus as the true King of the Jews who puts up no resistance to the violence of scapegoating that is being perpetrated against him. And Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? In refusing to fight against his own people's betrayal of him to the Romans, Jesus takes away the power of that violence and offers something much more powerful in its place. The promise of forgiveness. When we recognize that Jesus offers us a different path, we are freed to reject the violence of scapegoating that is all around us, that pervades our own culture and our politics and even the church itself. But will we? Do we? Do we recognize that Jesus offers us a different path? A path that allows us to reject violence? To reject the myth of the scapegoat? Jesus was the scapegoat. And those who could stop it stayed silent because of their fear. So we have Judas who betrayed him and Peter who denies him and Pilate who voiced concern but ultimately was complacent and his own tribe that yelled crucify him. And for real fear, the fear of getting in trouble, the fear of isolation, the fear of rendering them unable to take care of their family, even fear of death. Oftentimes, we profess Jesus Christ is Lord, 
and we pro- profess that he died for our sins. Honestly, not knowing or considering what that means, particularly in our 21st century context. As Christians, we need to realize that we embrace the ultimate scapegoat story. That Jesus, an innocent man, was violently murdered because of people's fear and silence and complacency. But in a divine twist, we experienced his resurrection. A resounding proclamation of forgiveness. And the ultimate gift that we don't have to fear death. That death doesn't have the final word. Can we see and experience the irony of this story and of our faith? To understand Jesus as a scapegoat for a people that lived and were held captive by their fear? When Jesus was leading a movement to teach us to be the light, to live beyond that fear? As Christians, this should be the last scapegoat story. But it's not. Because daily we are bombarded by all the things that society tells us will make our lives better. From the material to the political, from all the stuff we need to all the people that we don't. We must be careful to not be the hypocrisy of our Christian story. For if we only blindly profess, it keeps Jesus as the scapegoat. We have to see the irony. We have to understand the irony. And then we have to move to live a different way. To live into the fearlessness Jesus calls us to. To love with courageous compassion. To turn away from all the temporal trappings and temptations of this mortal world. To embrace the qualities of human relationships that engender trust and sacredness and precious regard for the least of these. If not, then we must still ask the question, what kind of king are you following? 